is. We could fill in the blank there and talk about a lot of different things, but I think one of the greatest challenges is to, is to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Just because God does new things in our life does not mean that there is not still a nature that we have to deal with. It's just that the Holy Ghost gives us power and the ability to control it. It is still there. It is innate. And we have to purpose within ourselves that we are not going to walk after the flesh, but we're going to walk after the spirit. That's not something that necessarily comes easy, uh, but it is one of the reasons why we are pursuing a life of holiness. If the pursuit of holiness, the purpose of holiness, is not to measure up to all the rules and regulations, I've met people that they, 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 they've got that figured out, but their spirit stinks. And so something is lacking. They're separated, but they're not holy. Praise God. And God has called us to be a holy people. So the reason I'm pursuing holiness, I understand and recognize God's going to call me out and separate me from. Last week, we talked about Abraham who was called out of where he was comfortable, an idol-worshiping nation. And God called him into a new culture, so he separated him from. That's the purpose of sanctification, is setting us apart. He's setting us apart from some things. But that ultimately wasn't why Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. It's because God gave to him a promise that he would be the father of the faithful. He's described as a friend of God. He becomes the originator of the people of God. And so we look to him as the father of the faithful. He was pursuing God's holiness. And in the process of pursuing God's holiness, there were some results that flowed out of that. And that's what the fruit of the spirit is. And that's what I'm talking about here tonight. When you pursue holiness, it should produce in you a flow of God's spirit and his anointing, which is the fruit of of the Spirit. In this chapter, we have read one verse in which Stephen, after all that has been done to him, is able to say with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, and then he died. This is the story of Stephen. He was tasked with practical matters. He was greatly used of God, and it was stated of him that he was full of faith and power. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. And so because of this and the expanse of this early church, the synagogue hired men to knowingly lie about Stephen and accuse him of blasphemy, a capital crime, in that culture. They purposely and manipulated some to lie against him. And so how did he react to this allegation? Well, he preached one of the greatest messages that you can find in the Bible in Acts chapter number 7. He started from the very beginning, and he leads through all the way to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the presence of God and the Spirit of God and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They picked up stones, and they stoned him. And we have read in our text verse that he was able to, in the midst of all of that, perform what we read in verse number 60. How in the world does a person, how is a person able to do something like that? He did it because he was walking 
in the Spirit. And this is the essence of living a holy life because it's going to produce some things in you that is the fruit of the Spirit. That's much different than walking in the flesh. You walk in the flesh, it's going to produce something in your life because it's of the flesh. Ladies and gentlemen here tonight, I don't want to walk in the flesh. I don't want anger, clamor, evil speaking. I want to walk in the spirit of God and the fruit of the spirit because there are benefits that take place when the fruit of the spirit is operating in your life. Praise God. And the Holy Ghost gives to us that opportunity. The purpose of pursuing holiness is to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Amen. That's why we pursue holiness. And so that's what we're talking about here tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And this passage of Scripture will help us understand uh, two angles or two sides of the equation the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is talking to the churches in Galatia, and he says in chapter 5, verse number 16 through 26, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he describes these two uh, sides of the equation. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he said, the fruit of the Spirit is... Let's repeat these because this is our focus. Our focus is predominantly not on the works of the flesh. Our focus is on the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read these together. There are nine of them. Love, joy, peace long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Each of us will either do the works of the flesh or we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Every single believer must make an ongoing, conscious choice to put down the desires of the flesh and submit to the desires of the Spirit. And there is a natural result that takes place. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this. There's a natural response if you walk in the flesh. That's one of the reasons why we preach the way that we preach about the gospel. The results of walking in the flesh is not good. It is not good, as we have read. There's natural inclinations that lead us astray. But just as it is to walk in the flesh, walking in the spirit has some natural things that take place in our lives. 
And the natural result of walking in the Spirit is seen in the fruit of our lives. There are nine aspects of that fruit that is listed, but it's important to note that it's only one fruit. It's not nine fruits, it's one fruit. There are different aspects of that one fruit, but you don't pick and choose. It's all wrapped up in that one fruit. It's not a buffet where you say, I want love, but I don't want self-control. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They're all inextricably linked together. And the fruit of the Spirit produces all nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. We walk in the Spirit, and God demonstrates his nature through us. I want to be somebody that's godly, that has the fruit of the Spirit operating in my life. And that's why there is a beauty in holiness. What are you pursuing? I'm pursuing the beauty in holiness because I want God's nature in my life. And if God's nature is in my life, it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And that's what God wants me to be. Amen. And so let's talk about these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The first three are love joy and peace. And so we want to talk about them and maybe try to understand them a little better tonight. Before we do, let's read a couple passages of scripture, which will help us further define what Paul is talking about in Galatians. We can read two passages that will help us in Romans chapter five and verse number five and Romans chapter 14, verse number 17. Chapter 5, verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. If you don't have the Holy Ghost here tonight, you need the Holy Ghost. You can't produce the fruit of the Spirit if the Spirit of God is not in you. <laughs> this is why it is a gift of God. This is why the Holy Ghost is important. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So how would we define these first three aspects of the one fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. What is love? Love is a selfless love for God and others. And there are different words in the Bible that translate love. In uh, one particular case, phileo is a natural love that exists between friends. A phileo love is between friends. This would probably describe the type of relationship and friendship between Jonathan and David. There was a love of friendship. Amen. That's phileo. Storge is familial love. So this would be love of family, familial connections, storge. And uh, the word that is used in this passage of Scripture that we have read by Paul in Galatians talking about the fruit of the Spirit is agape. Agape is a selfless love, and it, it describes a love that God has shown us. It's selfless. He went to Calvary, the cross. He gave everything. That's agape. That's not just a friendship love. Peradventure, 
uh, a good man might die. Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, died for the ungodly. So while we were yet sinners, it was a selfless act. It was agape. And so agape love is the most supreme form of selfless love that God shows to us. People use love flippantly. Agape love is not like, I love pizza. This is not the same kind of love. <laughs> or I love something. It's agape love is, is a selfless love that connects to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ provided to us. So one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is a selfless love for God, for God, for God. Some people can love God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind, but they can't love other people. This aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is you love God with everything, and you love your neighbor with everything. That is an agape love. That's a descriptive love of what Jesus has done for us. This is the kind of love that you will find in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, which is the love chapter, which talks about love and its selflessness. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So it's not just a matter of loving God, but I've got to love my brother and sister and the fruit of the spirit. If I'm pursuing holiness, the fruit of the spirit produces an aspect of that fruit that allows me to reach out and respond to other people. Praise God. We are in this thing together. God never intended you to sit at home watching via some kind of technology. He intended for you to be connected to people. Some people don't understand this. This is why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves because God never intended for us for eight months to sit at home and somehow, somehow vicariously participate in a church service. We need each other. We need to love God with everything but we need to love each other with everything. And it's hard to love each other when you can't see each other, right? It's a whole lot better to see you in the house of God here tonight. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm glad I see you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I could greet you. I'm glad I could worship with you. Love is a selfless love for God and others. That is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that will produce in your life. Well, I just, I just want to come to church, but I just can't stand those folks. Well, then, then, then you need a renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's what you need, okay? You need, you, you need to find an altar, and, and you need to pray through. I'm, I know there's people going to step on your toes. Has that ever happened? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you just keep living for God. Hallelujah. And ask God to help the fruit of the Spirit help you deal with those individuals and reach out maybe to others. Praise God and love them with everything that you've got. Amen. Love. Joy. Joy. What is joy? It's a settled delight in our eternal hope. Now, I'm, some of these things I'm, I'm going to define a little differently because I'm defining them not from the Webster's Dictionary. 
I'm defining them from a biblical perspective. If, if you were to look up joy, I don't know that you would necessarily find this definition, but from a biblical perspective, when you have joy, it is a settled, everyone say settled. Settled, 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 settled. People nowadays, after going through all that we've gone through, are unsettled. Why? Well, we're doing this, then we're doing that, and then we're changing this, and then this is happening, and that's happening. Nobody likes that kind of disruption in their life. It unsettles them. I get that. I don't like, I like to eat in restaurants. Well, I got two amens, praise God. Well... Maybe you don't mind sitting outside in 30-degree weather on a patio somewhere with some goofy little heater trying to heat up your head, but not your lower body just so that you can eat. I like to eat in restaurants. Well, when that's taken away from you, that's disruptive. Our lives have been unsettled in so many ways. I feel for some churches. I've talked to some. They're going through major, major upheavals. Thank God that we are in Kern County because we have not had too many difficulties or problems. The cops haven't showed up. Now, I better be careful because they may in a few days, but they haven't shown up. They haven't disrupted things because it seems like there's a little more patience and understanding that what is happening is not a good thing for the mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being of people. And so people are unsettled. Joy, from a biblical perspective, is a settled delight in our eternal hope. It's not a bubbly euphoria of unending days of laughter. It is a calm delight. It is an eternal perspective. Joy says, I may not be happy. Happiness is an emotion that is connected to external stimuli. Something happens, makes you happy, you laugh. Well, that's not joy. Joy is a calm delight. I may not be having things go my way, but I can still have joy because it's a heavenly perspective. I put it all out there and understand it's not about my happiness or my laughter or my emotion. It's a calm sense of knowing that whatever God promised, he's going to follow through with it. And so I can have joy in bad times. I can have a calm assurance in difficult times. Amen. This is what is meant from a biblical perspective. It's an eternal perspective. I've got joy. I can, as a matter of fact, I can be unhappy with some things and still have joy because I'm still trusting an eternal hope that is not connected to my emotions. Joy is not connected to your emotions. Joy is connected to an internal spiritual walk with God that is produced by the fruit of the Spirit and an aspect of the Spirit of God that says, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I've got an eternal hope that God is going to promise me something that is better. Amen. It's a calm delight. It's a calm delight. Joy is a spiritual response to an internal condition. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So joy can be there in times of triumph and in times of sorrow. Amen. This is something the world doesn't have. They fluctuate wildly 
on, on moments of happiness only to crash in moments of sadness. You need to be thankful as a child of God filled with the Holy Ghost that you don't ride that roller coaster ride because there is something internal that is a strength and an anchor to your soul that says it may not look good, but I've still got joy. Praise God. Things may not be going my way, but I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. A calm assurance that everything is going to be all right ultimately because God is sovereign. Amen. So I'm going to put my trust in him. So joy, peace, amen. A holy life produces joy, it produces love, and it produces peace. What is peace? What is peace? Peace is a quiet inner stability, and it carries a sense of healing with it. John chapter 16 and verse 33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So peace is, it's an inner stability, and it also has, it connotes healing. When we say, man, I feel the peace of God, there's a stability because of God's peace that everything is going to be okay, but also a healing that God brings to me. These are aspects the first three aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. It's an absolute treasure in a world of unrest, climbing suicide rates, and turmoil to know the peace of God. I'm thankful at night I can lay down, put my head on the pillow, and I can experience the peace of God and enter an inner strength, a quiet stability, a sense of healing that comes with it. Sometimes when we pray, we pray for peace to be on individuals. What are we saying? We're saying we want there to be a healing. We want there to be an inner stability. I may have the report. The report may not look good, but I still have the peace of God. <laughs> I'm still stable. I'm not falling apart. Uh, I'm not collapsing. I'm not acquiescing, but there is a peace of God in my life, an inner peace of God that brings healing to me. These are aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The peace of God is an absolute treasure. It's a treasure. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding. A holy life produces this. Love, joy, peace. Anybody thankful for love, joy, and peace? Anybody want more of love, joy, and peace? How do I attain that? By pursuing holiness, by reaching out for holiness so that it will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The next three, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Amen. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 12. Three scriptures here that will help us define what each of these mean. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Everyone say patient. Amen. In the first passage, we read kindness, kindness, patience. Titus chapter 2 and verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sincerity. So from those passages, we can define what Paul is talking about in the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at long-suffering. What is long-suffering? Joy, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What is long-suffering? Long-suffering is patience. Patience, one of the more difficult aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason why is because we are not a patient culture or a patient people. We want faster internet speed. We want shorter wait times. And we want overnight delivery. The kingdom of God doesn't always act in this immediacy. And some aspects of patience show up sooner. Patience means you've got to wait on the Lord. You have to be faithful and you have to be consistent and you have to have love and you have to have peace and you have to have joy. And there's some things that take time. It doesn't happen immediately. We live in an instant culture. God's not always going to operate in an instant fashion. Well, I asked the Lord and I didn't get an answer, so I'm just I'm disappointed. Well, you, you got to keep praying. You've got to keep seeking God. You've got to be patient. Just trust in God. You look at the life of Abraham. Abraham could have gotten impatient because things weren't happening as fast as he thought they were going to. As a matter of fact, when the angel, the Lord himself, shows up at the tent and says, Sarah's going to conceive, she laughed. Why? Because she thought there's no possible way. Too much time has taken place. Her impatience became an obstacle, and, and there had to be some patience to understand, even when I don't think it's going to happen, God made a promise, and God's going to respond to me if I am patient. Too many people lose out with God too quickly and too fast because they're impatient. Some people make some of the dumbest mistakes in their life because they're impatient. I'm getting too old. I'm this. I'm that. And so they get in stuff because of their impatience, and then they can't get themselves out of it. Or if they do, there's a lot of trauma that goes with it and a lot of suffering that goes with it. Listen to me. Live for God and be patient and trust that God's going to take care of you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You're in his hand. And so, God, I, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do what I know to do is right. And then I'm going to put all of that other stuff in your hands, and you're going to lead me to the right and proper position to where you can provide exactly what I need. You know what's interesting? Some people try to do everything on their own. They try to manipulate. They try to control. They try to do all this stuff and they're trying and trying and trying and trying. And at some point they finally find an altar and they say, okay, God, I'm just giving it all to you. And then it happens and they realize they wasted all that time because they were trying to do it themselves. And God was just waiting for them to say, here, God, I'm giving it to you. Could have saved a lot of time. But in order to do that, you have to be patient. You have to be patient. And so patience is 
not always immediate. Some aspects show up later. There's some aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that show up sooner. But patience, Luke chapter 21, verse 19, in your patience, possess ye your souls, Jesus said. You want to possess your soul? You're going to have to be patient. Amen. You're going to have to trust God. James said, chapter 1, verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, right? That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Meaning patience has a perfect work. It's not going to come on my time frame. Amen. Anybody hearing what I'm saying here tonight? I am not a patient person. I'm an impatient person. By nature, it's one of my weaknesses. I need the fruit of the Spirit because I need to be patient. I need to back off some things and let God handle them rather than jumping in trying to do it myself. Amen. Impatience. Impatience, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Rush, 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 rush. We live in California. Somebody came from Oregon one time, came to California and said, I don't understand you guys. You rush, 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 rush. Rush, rush, only to wait. You're rushing, 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 and then waiting an hour and a half for whatever it is. And that's a culture. And if we're not careful, we let the culture of our world bleed into the culture of our spirituality. Amen. I'm not going to have things happen instantaneously. Praise God. I'm going to have to be patient and trust God. In your patience, possess ye your souls. Praise God. Long-suffering, long-suffering is patience. Amen. Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. What is gentleness? How is it defined biblically? We read a verse that said kindness. Gentleness is kindness. Gentleness is kindness. The wrong picture sometimes is conjured up here. If you are a gentle person, this means from a biblical perspective, you are a kind person. The best illustration is the shepherd illustration. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently... Lead those that are with young. Kindness. The shepherd recognizes that there are some with young. And so you, you, can't, you can't travel in such a way that would damage them or harm them. That would be unkind to their welfare. And so what do you do as a shepherd? You watch for them and you watch for the young because you're trying to be kind to them. Gentleness is kindness. This means I am kind to people. It doesn't mean I'm gentle in the sense of not having any backbone. It means I'm gentle in the sense of being kind. I've learned how to rein in harsh words. When you just blast off on somebody, that's not being kind. That's not being gentle. So reining in harsh words, eliminating cruel acts, eradicating unkind thoughts toward everyone in our lives. This is what the fruit of the Spirit in its aspect produces when it produces in us gentleness. Gentleness is kindness. Amen. And, and then the third one in the middle of these nine, goodness. Goodness. Goodness is integrity. 
when someone tells you to be good, it means to have moral and ethical integrity with the world and with others. If you're a person that doesn't have moral integrity and you're living for God and it's not being produced in your life, you're not going to have a good testimony among those who are on the outside and those who are on the inside. I'm talking about mammon and believers, believers and unbelievers. The fruit of the Spirit should produce some integrity in your life that other people can see. All right? That is called goodness. It's, it's an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that operates in a pursuit of holiness. It flows out of the fruit of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 2 said, For by it the elders obtained a good report. Good report. Why? Because at the end of the day, they weren't perfect, but at the end of the day, you could look at their lives and say they exemplified goodness. They exemplified integrity. They didn't walk away. They stuck with it through thick and thin. And there, there was produced in their life goodness. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We get together. We talk. We fellowship. What are we doing? We're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Why are we doing all of this? So that we can provoke one another to good works. That's integrity. We start talking about things and we start learning about things and we start pursuing some things and they are good things. This is what should happen in a church that unified around everybody growing. If it's a church that's unified around disunity, then you get a lot of gossip and a lot of junk and a lot of stuff that doesn't produce goodness or integrity. It tears down. Listen, the world is all about deconstruction. I went to a as a matter of fact, I went to Elizabeth's graduation. One of the main speakers in her particular field, which is sociology, is we've been told we should deconstruct everything. If you tear down everything, you're going to be left with nothing. Hello? Is this working? I know this is kind of funky tonight, but is anybody hearing what I'm saying tonight? Is that okay? Is everybody just listening or what? If you deconstruct everything, you're going to be left with nothing. There may be some things that you can make better, but if you tear down everything, you've got nothing. And when you've got nothing, you're going to start over with all the mistakes of everybody else in history that started from point A and got to where they were through the difficulties and struggles of getting where they were. You're just starting over and you're going to repeat the same thing over. Amen. You're going to repeat the same thing over and over. And so if there's a body that is deconstructing, it's not going to be a church that is unified. You need to get gossip and hypocrisy out of your mouth and say, I want the fruit of the Spirit to produce goodness in me so that we encourage and provoke each other to integrity and goodness that produces an integrity in the church and out of the church. And produces a moral compass. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good, 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 and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Goodness is integrity. Now, the last three 
There are nine aspects of the one fruit of the Spirit. That one fruit of the Spirit produces all of these aspects. When an individual is pursuing a life of holiness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We hear a lot about faith, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. We get this gem. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is a prerequisite. You can't get anywhere unless you have faith to believe in God. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek, everyone say meek, and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Faith, in this verse, we see meekness in the sight of God is a, of great price. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, everyone say temperate, in all things. Now they do it to attain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So in these three passages, we see three words that are very, very important. Faith, it's impossible to please him without faith. The second passage, an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit is in the sight of God, great price. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, temperance is important. Temperate in all things. So how do we define the last three of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit? Faith is, how would you define faith? Well, Hebrews defines it in a particular way. Faith is consistency. It is a prerequisite to pleasing God. And our walk should not, should not, should not be highs and lows. It should be consistency. Living for God with extreme highs and extreme lows is not a good place to be spiritually. There should be consistency. So faith, as defined as the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, is a consistency to walk with God and trust in God. Not wild fluctuations, but it's the same faith on Monday as Sunday. And it's the same faith that is with us every single day. You know, this is one of the overlooked uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that we should be so very, very grateful for. I am grateful for individuals who are just consistent, consistent. They just live for God. That's, that's also ingrained within the history of this local church. If, if you're coming here, all right, and you're new to the church and God's discipling you and you're growing in God, I want to tell you that you've got a great, great treasure uh, in, in this church because of this church that is rooted in consistency that started from the very beginning. Uh, a lot of people get caught up in highs and lows of sensationalism. And they ride this wave of the next great thing that comes along. And then, then that dies out. Now there's another thing. And the thing that has been a blessing to us for over 75 years, almost 80 years, of individuals who have consistently just live for God. Just live for, just live for God, man. Just live for God. I know there's difficulties and circumstances and trials and turmoils, but just live for God. Be consistent. Be consistent every single day. There's going to be good weeks. We're going to live for God. There's going to be bad weeks. We're going to live for God. There's going to be good years. We're going to live for God. There's going to be bad years. We're still going to live for God and be consistent. 
That's faith. That is faith. Amen. And that, that, is, a, that is a powerful thing because there is a strength. There's a strength around people that just don't quit. <laughs> They're faithful. Amen. Two more here tonight. Meekness. What is meekness? Of all the fruit of the Spirit, especially in the King James Version, this one is interpreted probably in the most misunderstood interpretation. Meekness. What is meekness? Meekness, this is really, really good. Meekness is a measured strength. Everyone say measured. Measured strength. Strength. Meekness. Meekness is not mousy. Meekness is not weak. Meekness is not spineless. Meekness is a controlled strength. Meekness doesn't mean that you're a mat that everybody walks on. Meekness means there is a power. Power. Praise God. Help me out, Sister Jeannie. Power. There's a power, but it's controlled. You see that? Sometimes people interpret meekness, meekness as being weakness. No, meek is not weak. Meek is powerful, but it's controlled. The best way probably to illustrate it is an ox that is harnessed. And if it is controlled, a child can direct the ox. Now, we don't do much agriculture, but in ancient civilizations, and they're still doing the same forms of agriculture, you'll see a child going down the rows and an ox furrowing, plowing the ground. Why isn't the ox just doing its own thing? Because it's very powerful. It's more powerful than the child, for sure. But it's able to do what it's doing. Everybody, look over there. Look over there. He's going out of the building. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Brother Brock? That's what everybody was doing. He's going out. He's going out. <clears throat> Don't take yourself too seriously. Look at me. Look at me, okay? I'm almost finished. I'm, I'm going to get there. Just a few more minutes. <laughs> Meekness is a controlled power. So when you say somebody is meek, you're not talking about somebody that's weak or spineless. You're talking about somebody that is very powerful, but they are under God's control. They are harnessed to do a great work. You look at individuals that were meek, you can talk about somebody like Moses. Moses was a, there's no way you could say Moses, and Moses is described as a meek man. He was not a weak man. You got to have guts to walk into Pharaoh's courtyard. Oh, look, there comes somebody else in. And what is she doing? Saul was not an individual that was meek. Saul was an individual that was weak. He had great power, but it wasn't controlled power. So meekness is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that produces a controlled power. It is harnessed to do a great Work. James said in chapter 3, verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. 
It is harnessed. It is power that is harnessed. And then lastly, temperance. Temperance is self-control of desires. It's reining in one's innate sinful desires. It's keeping control of the harness. It's temperance in everything. It's having a firm control. This is not by my own strength. I'm not doing this because I have the ability to do it. I'm doing it because of God's spirit that is in me. I can't have God be sovereign if my flesh or my carnal nature is tearing down walls. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A person that is temperate is a person that is self-controlled and they control their desires and they pursue a life of holiness that produces the fruit of the spirit. So these nine aspects, nine aspects of the one fruit of the spirit is the whole reason why we're trying to be holy. I am not trying to be holy so that I can wear my sleeves somewhere. People have worn their sleeves and they've been sitting in a casino with a prostitute before, but they're holy. Okay, something's wrong with that picture, ladies and gentlemen. You could be holier than thou, and your attitude just absolutely stinks. This is not the holiness that I want to pursue. I want holiness to be on the inside of me. I want to be separated to God. But the ultimate motivation for why I'm trying to be holy is so that the fruit of the Spirit can operate in my life. That's why I'm trying to be holy. That's why I'm pursuing holiness. And that's why if you don't have holiness, you won't see God. You can be separated and go to hell. I said, you can be separated and still go to hell. You can sit on a church pew and be so critical of everybody, analyze everybody, and not even be near to where God even is. That's the whole Muslim faith. They're holier than we are. They wear their garments way below what we wear our garments, right? They've got boundaries and lines that they've drawn, but does that make them holy? No, because holiness starts on the inside of your heart. And when you're pursuing God for the right reasons and it produces the fruit of the spirit, it's going to separate you from some things. You can't get closer to God and be close to the world. The closer you get to the God, the farther you get away from the world. But what's driving that? The motivation is because God is producing the fruit of the spirit in your life that makes changes in your life. Praise God. This is one of the things that we need to talk more about because we can judge everybody what tie they've got, what socks they've got, what shirt they've got. Really? Really? How about we talk about the fruit of the Spirit? What attitude do you got? What kind of expression of God do you got? Are you producing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance? I've left some out long-suffering, praise God. Your motivation to holiness is so that the fruit of the Spirit can operate in your life. And when that happens, it sets you up for God to sanctify you or draw you out from a world that you are in. Praise God. The only way you are sanctified and separated is through holiness 
that separate. You can't get there by separation, hoping that somehow holiness is going to take place. You get holy because you have an experience with God. Amen. The Holy Ghost in your life, operating in your life, that produces the fruit of the Spirit and nine aspects of its power and its ability. I don't want to walk in the flesh. Amen. I want to walk in the Spirit. Praise God. I want the Holy Ghost to operate in my life. Amen. I want to love with the same love that God loved us. I want to have a joy that is complete, that's not attached to happiness. I want a meekness that is a power that is controlled. Praise God. This is what we're striving for, and this is what we're pursuing. As we stand in the house of God tonight, this should be something that should be in the forefront of our mind every single day that we live. God, I want to be more like you. I want you to call me out of this world. I want your holiness to be in my life. I want to be transformed and formed by your power and your ability. This is what I'm hungering after. Amen. Is that Noel? Noel. Noel. Noel, good to see you. Praise God. I haven't seen you in a long time. Praise God. You even look different, man. Does everybody know who Noel is? Oh, clap your hands. Noel's with us tonight. It's God. God draws us to a life of holiness. We need to pursue that. If you don't know who Mark is, Mark is right over here. Mark, raise your hand. Praise God. That's Mark. Amen. Mark is a great, great guy. He is Cher's brother, and he is Joel's brother-in-law. And... Um, He's going to be coming around, and so we want to get to know him. He's a great, great guy. He's got a great, great history, and so we appreciate what God is doing in his life. If you have not met him, you need to go say hi and introduce yourself to him. Praise God. Savior, we thank you and worship you and love you. We thank you for your word that brings strength and anointing to us and the peace of God. It passes all understanding and inner confidence that everything is going to be all right. We ask that that anointing and that strength and that blessing would be applied to our lives as we give to you thanks and adoration. We ask all these things in your great, great name. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.